Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. And so I'd like to hear from you how well you think you understand what mindfulness is after all this talking we've done about it, it, around it. And if you're not sure you understand it, that's not surprising. Okay, but um, actually, I learned something very interesting last night. That uh, this past summer at the Mind and Life Conference, do you all know what Mind and Life is? It's established by the Dalai Lama, and it's meditators and scientists, including a lot of psychologists, together to work together in various projects and exchange information and views. And apparently, this past summer, at the Summer Mind and Life Conference, they came to the conclusion that nobody knows what mind is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's true that nobody knows, although speaking on behalf of all of these psychologists and, and, and scientists, it's probably true that they don't know most of them don't know, but there are people who know what mindfulness is. But the difficulty is in articulating it. There's a, there are people who know what mindfulness is who can articulate it very effectively. And I'm trying to articulate it effectively enough so that you can know what it is, so that, that you can apply it and know what it is in practical terms, in, in real life terms. So anyway, in in summary, uh, if you're not sure you understand it yet, well, let's keep keep working at it and make sure that you do. Okay? So, of course, there's there's understanding it. You understand it when you feel like you can experience being mindful and not being mindful and you know the difference, right? Yeah. About sort of the degrees of mindfulness. For example, um, I used Dee's example about making a salad. So, making a salad, you're really uh, present making the salad. You're looking at the colors, you're enjoying the sound of the knife going through the carrot, etc., etc. And so, there's that. Mm-hmm. And then there's knowing that you're doing that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in that distinction. Well, First of all, as we've talked about, there's really in, in any moment there are your conscious experience has essentially three parts to it. One is whatever it is your attention is focused on. And actually if we break that down, if your attention is focused on the salad, it's actually moving from moment to moment from from the radish to the tomato and even to the to the slice that, that you're making and, and things like that. But that's all a focus of attention. And another component is the peripheral awareness, which can be divided into two, which is your peripheral awareness of material reality, the physical world, your body and everything that's external to your and then the third part is that part of peripheral awareness, which is 
aware of what's internal to the mind. So your thoughts and emotions and your mental states and your mental activity. So if you can think of it in terms of there being three parts in conscious experience and one or the other can predominate to the extent that one or both of the other two cease to cease to be present to any kind of effective degree. Okay? So, you're making a salad. You can make a salad. You can know you're making a salad, which is the introspective aspect of peripheral awareness. And you can also be aware of what's going on around you. In your peripheral vision, you know the, the pot of potatoes is bubbling away, and as part of that is the realization that it's okay, it's not boiling over, you don't need to do anything about it. And there may be all kinds of other things in your environment. So all three of those things are there. Um, to the degree that you, that the interaction between those is less than optimal, you're missing out on something that you, you should be. Now, if you, what happens if you're if you start thinking about something and you're only peripherally aware of the tomatoes you're slicing, you're not in the present moment. And most likely, you have just, you have an awareness of the tomato you're slicing. You're no longer aware of much else in the environment around you. And the potatoes could boil over while you're thinking this thought. And uh, you probably have no awareness that you're thinking, uh, what, you're, what your body's doing. There's no introspective awareness. So it becomes, that becomes obviously not very mindful. Then if you're not thinking some other thought, you're completely in the present moment, uh, <coughs> there still can be different balances between these three components. Uh, and so, Okay, degrees of, of mindfulness. Uh, I w I'm defining mindfulness as an optimal interaction between these three. And optimal is going to have a different meaning in every situation. Okay? So making a salad, an optimal interaction of these three is not quite the same thing as when you're doing heart surgery. You know, or all kinds of other things. Talking to somebody. Uh, doing accounting. So in every situation, what's optimal is different. <clears throat> and it's like any other skill, uh, mental or physical, in order to be able to utilize it in an optimal way, you have to, you know, you have to practice it. And so uh, you're the degree, I would say, the degree to which you are mindful in any circumstance is the degree to which the utilization of your conscious capacity is optimal for that situation. And so by practicing mindfulness, what you're doing is practicing using your conscious capacity to the, in the best way that you can in any given situation. And so that's the skill 
That's the skill that you develop. And then, of course, the other part of being mindfulness, being mindful, <coughs> is is not the skill part, but it's the, the having sufficient power of conscious awareness to be able to perform optimally in any given situation, rather than the one thing that you're doing so usurps your capacity for consciousness that you don't have the ability for either introspective awareness or, or extrospective awareness. Does that make sense to yeah. you? So yes, very much. Thank you. That was really helpful and clear. So to develop your capacity for consciousness, uh, it's not really one of those three that you. It's it's really. I mean, at different times, as you yeah. said, you're doing different things, and actually, in meditation, you can do all three. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And and so you're saying just simply the more you do it, the the bigger the con- the, the more you expand your container. Yes. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. Because I think. I'll just share this little thing for myself, that for me, thinking used to be a problem, like a distraction from, but now, more and more, as I'm in my life and meditating, I'm aware I'm having a thought, and I'm actually curious about the thought, and I pursue yes. it until I'm done with it, and then <coughs> bring my awareness to another place. Um, or sound used to be a distraction, like I try to meditate, and I have you know, three kids and a dog, and I would try to like sneak some way to do it when it was quiet, and if I if they woke up, it was just sort of like frustrating. Whereas now, I think because I'm able to expand the consciousness, it's it's not counter to what I'm doing. It's part of what I'm doing, and the consciousness or the awareness dances around. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you've described that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is what happens, you know. Uh, as you practice, you become more and more aware. You, you begin thinking your practice is supposed to take a particular form. And you sit down on a dawn day and it doesn't take that form. And you say, oh, my meditation's no good. Yeah. But your meditate, no matter what form it's taking, your meditation can be perfect if you go with what's happening. So I'm having a lot of distracting thoughts today, okay? I'm aware I have distracting thoughts, and every time I'm aware I have distracting thoughts, I return my focus to the meditation object, and I don't worry about how many times it happens. Because how many times it happens isn't important. That's just what's happening. The meditation is being aware of it and returning the attention. If there's disturbing sounds, kids are crying, dogs are barking, whatever, that's what's happening. And your reaction to it, it's not like, being annoyed is, oh, it's bad, I shouldn't be annoyed. Being annoyed is what, that's who you are, that's what's happening right now. So you know, you know the dog's barking and you know you're annoyed, you're annoyed and you recognize those and you let go of them and you just keep on doing the practice with that as a part of it. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, I heard more than three components, so I just want to go over that a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I think you mentioned, um, first of all, there's the focus of attention, like slicing the tomato. Yeah. And then you mentioned several other things, and I, maybe they're all part of peripheral awareness, the, bo- the boiling uh, pot of potatoes. Yeah. Um, but also your body, the physical sensation of your body is what I heard. And um, then there's the whole metacognitive awareness that I'm, I'm noticing all this. Um, as, as well as any other external stimuli in the background, 
while you're making a salad or something. Is that, are, are those all part of peripheral awareness except for the metacognitive part? The metacognitive part is also a part of peripheral awareness. Oh. The, the way that I would divide these up, okay, you have conscious awareness, conscious experience, the totality of what you are conscious of at one time. Mm -hmm. There is the focus of attention. Mm -hmm. And everything else is peripheral awareness. So we divide it into two. We divide conscious experience into two parts, attention and peripheral awareness. Then the peripheral awareness, we can divide that in turn into two parts. There's everything that's external to the mind, which includes the body and bodily sensations, mm -hmm. as well as the boiling potatoes and the dog barking outside. Anything that's outside of the mind mm -hmm. is, is one of the two parts of peripheral awareness. And anything that's inside of the mind is the other second part of peripheral awareness. So that would include thoughts and emotions and mental states and mental activity and metacognitive awareness. Okay. To take it one step further, we can take introspective awareness and divide it into two parts. Things in, by introspective, we mean things that are internal to the mind. Thoughts are internal to the mind. Memories are internal to the mind. In, mental images are internal to the mind. But they, in turn, are different than the knowing that you're thinking, mm -hmm. or knowing that you're remembering, mm -hmm. or knowing that an image is arising, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or knowing your mental state, that is restlessness, agitation, peacefulness, joy, whatever. And also knowing what your mind is doing, My, you know. So, then you can divide introspective awareness in, on one hand, the contents, thoughts and images and memories, and on the other hand, the state and activity. This is the metacognitive, the state and activity. And so the difference between those two is, is having thought, that, that is introspective, and knowing that you're having a thought, which is metacognitive. If your attention is focused on the thought, then of course it's an object of attention. If the thought's in the background, then it's, an ob it's part of peripheral awareness. And if at the same time that the thought is in peripheral awareness in the background, there is also the awareness that you're having a thought, then you have the thought and then you have the metacognitive awareness of the thought both at the same time. So if you drew this out, what it would look like is we take conscious experience and divide it into these two parts, and then we would take introspective awareness and divide it into these two parts. Mm -hmm. That helps a lot. Thank you. Yeah. This introspective awareness, that's been the really big thing for me, I think, this weekend. I, I guess this last answer too has been really helpful. I'm thinking the knowing part of what's in your mind, that requires at least intention and maybe will. And I, I'm in this habit, I think, of just moving on or not doing the work of knowing. And I'm wondering if 
you can speak to how to work with that? Just well, it, the the way I think the typical person is who hasn't done any training in mindfulness, certainly the way I have been. Uh, we're mostly aware of external things. Uh, and our attention actually tends to be dominated by thoughts, thoughts and emotions. I mean, just sort of quantitatively. Of course, we spend a lot of time paying attention to things that are, are external as well. But uh, a lot of the time, our thoughts, our, our attention is preoccupied by thoughts and feelings, memories, emotions. I mean, you think about how much time you spend doing that. So the, the kind of out-of-balance state of the typical person is attention spends a lot of time on engrossed in mental activities and focused on external things as necessary. As far as their peripheral awareness, it's mostly external things because the function it's performing most of the time is to let you know when there's something else that you need to pay attention to different from what you already are. We have some introspective awareness, but not nearly as much as we do extrospective peripheral awareness. And we have a little bit of metacognitive introspective awareness, but not much at all. That's sort of the way an ordinary person is. So it's by having the intention to know what's going on in your mind that your mind will begin to manifest more introspective awareness and more metacognitive introspective awareness. So setting and holding that attention, that intention, sorry, Setting and holding that intention is what's going to cause your mind to behave in a bit of a different way. And the more you do that, the more that becomes a habit of the mind. And, and I was reading about um, the Buddha's foundations. Yeah. And he, do I understand that he says work with the body first before... The thoughts and because I know I I skipped the body. I mean I've gone straight to the the images and the thoughts and the attention. The body attention to the body, analysis of the body, understanding of the body, and for that matter, not just the body, but the external world in uh -huh. general. That's that comes naturally, it comes easily. So in terms of the training, it's a really good way to start. You know, you begin with what you're already good at and you move from that to things that you're not so good at. I'm so, really good at my body. Well, <laughs> I you're, feel you're, like no, I'm better you, at my thoughts. Well, the way we, as I was saying, the average person <laughs> has no problem paying attention to things external to the mind. And the average person has no problem being peripherally aware of things external to the mind. So, uh, at, so if, uh, if the average person wants to become someone with more introspective awareness and more metacognitive introspective awareness, 
what you begin with is learning to sustain peripheral awareness even while you're focused on something. I mean, we're almost always focused on something. So let's begin. We're almost always focused on something, and uh, we naturally find it easy to be aware of what's going on around us or what's happening in our body. So let's start with that, and let's practice sustaining that peripheral awareness even when we become really, really focused. And then, okay, so this is the, this is the two divisions of conscious experience, and we're just simply practicing, let's, let's get good at not losing this one when we get so engrossed in this one. Okay? Once you get good at sustaining peripheral awareness, then you can say, okay, I can't possibly be aware of everything. So what's most important to be aware of? Well, the introspective component is what's more important. At least, well, I shouldn't say that. There are certain circumstances where the extrospective component is going to be more important. But in terms of the training, the introspective component is the most neglected. So that's the one we want to develop. So then, once we get good at not losing peripheral awareness, then we start practicing getting good at, at that peripheral awareness having a strong introspective component. And then when we get good at that, then, then we focus even more on that introspective component being in particular the metacognitive awareness. So, so you see what I'm saying? We, we, we take where we already are and we work with that to get to where we want to be. So in this way, you come to be a person who has a facility of, of all of these different kinds of consciousness and can use them. But it, it's only if you have the metacognitive awareness that even if you have the ability, you, you know what you need to do. If the optimal... It, to use these different components of consciousness optimally in a particular situation, um, you have to have some aware, awareness of where you are and what you're trying to do, what your goals are and your purposes and so forth. See? So that's where you want to get to. And to take it back to the Buddha, he described this, the goal of this process, this mindfulness, Sati is a word that's usually defined as, as translated as mindfulness. But most often he combined it with another word called sampajana, sati sampajana, which is usually translated as clear comprehension. But when you put these two together, when he was asked what that means, he said it means knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it, whether it's what you want to be doing whether it serves your purposes, whether it's consistent with... So one of the things that he stressed is whether or not this is ethically, morally, karmically correct. Okay, so if you know what you're thinking, and you know why you're thinking it, and you know whether this is a good, a good karmic thought or not a good karmic thought, wow, then, then you can shape yourself. Turn yourself into an enlightened being. So, so I'm using that that Anapanasati chapter in the 16, um, and this has been really helpful because 
what I what I think I've been trying to do is like like number three. So the number three is I'm sensitive in my body, and it, yeah, it's the, the four foundations of the body, the feelings, the mind, and the dharma. But um, what I think I've been trying to do is actually keep attention both on the sensations of the breath, or the, the object of meditation, and on the and on the body, rather than the peripheral awareness. But my question to you is, after one and two, which seems to be you know the long breath, the short breath. What, which one is, which one should be the attention, which one should be the peripheral? So, like in number three, are you, is the attention still on the, on the sensations of the breath and the peripherally aware of the body? Or are you, does the attention shift to the sensations in the body, the sensitive to the body, and you're peripherally aware of the sensations of the breath? Okay, I, I, that's a great question. I want to answer it, but you've lost most people here. He's referring to the Anapanasati Sutra. It's also the same thing in the Satipatthana Sutra, which is the one that you refer to, and there's another sutra called the Kayagata Sati Sutra. And they all there's, there's four verses. This is basic medic. This this is the most most. These four simple verses are probably the most basic and the most complete meditation instruction that has come down to us from the Buddha himself. And basically it goes like this. Uh, gone to the forest, the foot of a tree, uh, an empty dwelling. Cross-legged he sits down, puts his mindfulness before him. Mindfully he breathes in, mindfully he breathes out. And then comes the four verses. When he breathes in a long breath, he knows he breathes in a long breath. When he breathes out a long breath, he knows he breathes out a long breath. When he breathes in a short breath, he knows he breathes in a short breath. And when he breathes out a short breath, he knows he breathes out a short breath. Experiencing the whole body as he breathes in, he trains himself. Experiencing the whole body as he breathes out, he trains himself. Calming the bodily formations, he trains himself. As he breathes, at calming the bodily formation, as he breathes in, he trains himself. And then repeats again as he breathes out. So these are the four. Okay. First of all, if you think about this, what does this mean? He breathes in a long breath, he knows it. Breathes in a short breath, he knows it. Long compared to what? I've got a neighbor every time I say, How are you doing, Terrell? He says, Compared to what? <laughs> um, you know, long breath compared to what? Short breath compared to what? Well, it can only be compared to the preceding breaths, right? And as you sit, your breathing changes, which you've all noticed. So, first of all, what he's saying, when he breathes in a long breath, he knows it. Out a long breath, he knows it. Short breath, he knows it. He's saying, that there is some continuity of attention here, and there is, he's, he's talking about uh, a focus of attention that has been sustained. You know, when your mind keeps wandering, becomes distracted or dull, you don't know whether this breath, whether this end breath, is longer or shorter than the last one, do you? The only way you can know whether it's longer or shorter than the last one is if you have really good, stable, continuous attention from breath to breath to breath. And so that's, that's what this part of the instruction is all about. 
the if when one breath is over with, there is kind of a recollection. There's an imprint of that experience that stays in your mind for a short period of time. <coughs> and when you're breathing in your next breath, that imprint is in your peripheral awareness, mm-hmm. right? So that's how you know. You know, you're focused on, oh, and this breath's a little bit longer than the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Or a little bit shorter, and so forth. So really, <coughs> your, the focus of your attention is on the breath that's happening now, and the imprint, the short-term memory, the recollection of the last breath is in your peripheral awareness. So you have the experience of knowing what's happening. Now you were asking about the third, the third of these verses says, experiencing the whole body as he breathes in, he trains himself. Now, something that happens naturally, you're focusing on the breath. After all, you, you can't help but start being aware of the whole body. And what, throughout the whole process, before we get to this verse, when we've just been long breath, short breath, you should have had the body in your peripheral awareness. If you were just focused on the breath and you didn't have anything in peripheral awareness, most probably you kept getting distracted by thoughts or slipping into dullness. But if you had an awareness of the body in peripheral awareness all that time, then that has helped you to stay focused and to stay awake. So now that you've developed really good focus, and you you know whether this breath is longer or shorter than the last one, your mind has become more powerful. It kind of wants to take in more information. So what you can do is you can expand your attention to include the entire body. And you can do exactly what the verse said. You can experience the whole body as you breathe in. And as a matter of fact, you can feel sensations of the breath in every part of the body. Uh, which, if, you've, if you haven't done this and if you haven't discovered this, that may seem, well, how can that possibly be? But if you, if you do it, you find it, you can. You can feel sensations of the breath in your feet, in your toes, in your ears, everywhere. So it is possible to experience the whole body with the breath. But when you're doing that, it's the focus of your attention. So actually, by the time you get to that verse, the Buddha is saying, it's no longer a peripheral awareness. You've now made experiencing the whole body the focus of your attention. But by this time, you also have to have enough introspective awareness to know what you're doing, you know, and to, to stay on track with what you're doing. So... Uh, the direction you're moving here is more powerful, stable attention and peripheral awareness becoming more introspective. Because when you're sitting in meditation, once you've stabilized attention, peripheral awareness of what's around you and what's happening in your body is not very important anymore. It's not. What do you need... What do you need to know whether the birds are singing or the dogs barking or the traffic? That's, you don't need that in peripheral It serves no purpose in peripheral awareness anymore. 
early it started, earlier it served its purpose in peripheral awareness because it kept you alert and awake and focused. But now you don't need it anymore. You've got this introspective awareness. That's where your peripheral awareness is settled. So then we come to the fourth verse, which says, calming the bodily formations as he breathes in. He trains himself. And calming the bodily formations as he breathes out. He trains himself. And in the process of meditation, you've reached a certain stage where you can do anything you want with your attention, stably, and you have introspective awareness of what's going on in your mind, which is what allows you to do this. You don't need to be aware of the bodily formations anymore. You calm the bodily formations. You kind of let them disappear into the background. Can you repeat what that sutra is called? Uh, the Anapanasati Sutra and the Satipatthana and the Kayagata Sati. Anapana means breathe in, breathe out. It's the sutra on breathing in and breathing out. Satipatthana, Sati means mindfulness, and Patana means application. So it is the applications of mindfulness. And the Kayagata Sati is the mindfulness of the body sutra. So. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm hearing two different models of meditation this morning, and I'm interested in both of them. I've experienced both of them, but uh, usually, very often when you speak and answer questions and stuff, you talk in terms of you know progressing up the steps of meditation towards enlightenment and the way I hear you say is that you're, you're, you're working really hard to keep diminishing things in the peripheral experience. To diminish things? To really diminish things <coughs> or to not, not to pick up something and certainly not to pick it up and enlarge it but to diminish it to, to take away that awareness as much as possible so that you are single-mindedly focused, and uh, you have to, I guess for step three or whatever, you have to achieve a straight, thir- oh, no, that's 30 minutes, but whatever, mm-hmm. a straight period of time, which you're completely focused, and this, the subtle, whatever they're called, the subtle distractions don't become those distractions. And that seems very, very different and when you answer Awana's question about awareness and even acceptance of the peripheral, not exaggerating the peripheral, but just taking it right in and saying, okay, today, this is what I'm so aware of. And so it, I just have to accept it and then move on. But that, it sounds like two very different... Okay, well, let me restate it and, and, and try to put it in a way that doesn't sound like different. So... First of all, you're saying, you seem to hear me saying, on the one hand, want to diminish your awareness of other things, and you want to uh, not be overcome by distraction. And then, on the other hand, you heard me say, if a dog's barking, that's what's happening. And they sounded to you like two different things. Okay, let me put it differently. You want 
you want your attention to be focused on what you've chosen to focus your attention. You want anything else that's present other than what you've chosen to focus your attention on to be in peripheral awareness. It's not consistently that way in the beginning, but you're working towards making it that way. You're not trying to block out anything, and you're not really trying to diminish anything. You're trying to keep it in its right place. So what belongs in peripheral awareness, the dog barking belongs in peripheral awareness. Your annoyance belongs in peripheral awareness. And any thoughts that come up belong in peripheral awareness. And whatever you've chosen to focus your attention on, sensations of the breath, belongs in your attention. So you're trying to keep everything in its place. Then the next thing is you want to have powerful introspective awareness metacognitive introspective awareness. So, but you can't, you, you can't be aware of everything at once. You can't be aware of everything external to you at once. It's just, it's just too much. And it's a good thing to discover. It's a very good thing to practice trying to be aware of everything at once, just to discover how small the part of what you what can actually be in peripheral awareness. And I'm not talking about attention here. Yeah, you can only pay attention to one thing. But your peripheral awareness can never take in everything. It can only take in a small part. And then in addition to that, you want to be aware of what's going on in your mind. And the same thing, your, your mind is a rich and complex place as well. So to have any sort of effective introspective awareness, is going to, by itself, diminish your awareness of things external to you. It's not that you're trying, not, that you're making an attempt not to be aware of those things. It's not that you don't want to be aware of the dog barking or the traffic. What it is, is that you want to be aware of what's going on in your mind. And if you have that intention, as you become more aware of what's going on in your mind, all by itself, your, uh, the, the, the dog barking and the sensations in your body are going to fade from peripheral awareness. So, if you understand what I'm saying, there's only so much consciousness. Now, you want to increase the amount you have as you go along, but at any given time, there's only so much consciousness available. It's a limited resource. So, naturally, the more of it you put into one place, the less there is for any place else. So you're still doing the same thing. You're still trying to have everything be where it belongs, where it's important. And so you reach this point where peripheral awareness of your body just isn't important compared to being aware of what's going on in your mind. And so as you succeed in being aware of what's going on in your mind, you're going to experience calming of the bodily formation. You're going to experience a tremendously diminished peripheral awareness of the less relevant things like bodily sensations. So, and what actually happens, what, what happens in real life when you do this, I know some of you know what I'm talking about, you're sitting there and you don't, you have an awareness of your body, but not of any of the normal sensations. You don't feel the pressure, the touch, the clothes, the air on the skin. None of that's there anymore. There's just this sort of a, 
an, an image of the body. It's just kind of like an empty form, and that's all there is. And of course, usually it, it's rather a pleasant experience. So that's that's the calming of the bodily formations. Not because you're trying to exclude it. It's what happens if all of your consciousness is going into being single-pointedly focused on a meditation object while being simultaneously introspectively aware of what's going on in mind. Does that help to clarify it? Yes, it does. Uh, <clears throat> you become aware of thoughts that you're having, and yes. then you, you, uh, you see that, you know that, and you try to diminish it. Well, you don't, actually, you don't try to diminish. Let's talk about thoughts. I didn't address thoughts at all in, in this little description, but that's a, an important thing that I did. Because you all you have a lot of thoughts coming and going in your mind. And what you want to do is to keep the thoughts in the peripheral awareness rather than paying attention to them. And also you want to know that thoughts are there. But... An interesting thing happens when when your attention, when the stability of your attention becomes very strong, and you're being introspectively aware. The result is that thoughts are totally ignored. Now, as I, as you've all experienced, if you ignore a thought, it kind of evaporates. Another one comes along, but if you don't ignore a thought, if you give it the briefest attention, it hangs around. Right, but if but the other side of that is that if you ignore it, it evaporates. When as the quality of your meditation improves, as your ability to stay focused on the object and ignore thoughts and peripheral awareness improves, eventually the thoughts just stop coming. Well, they come less and less frequently until you have these periods where. There's no thought. And when a thought does come along, it's like this little whisper in the background, which you have no trouble ignoring, and it goes away. A little later, another whisper might come up, but you ignore it, and it goes away. You have really long periods of uh, no discursive thought, no internal self-talk, no narrative. And also the interesting thing that happens at this stage is that your mind becomes very non-conceptual. But it's not the result of trying to make the thoughts go away. It's, it's actually something that happens by itself as you get better and better at allocating conscious resources the way you intend to, which is focus on the meditation object and uh, introspective awareness of what's going on in your mind. There's a little trick you can use directly related to what we were talking about before, that third verse from these sutras, to reach that point much more quickly. If you make the entire body the focus of your attention, and if you're trying to detect the subtle sensations of the breath in the entire body at the same time, that requires so much of your conscious capacity that thoughts are super ignored and they go away much more quickly. So that's a shortcut to getting to this no-thought, non-conceptual state, is to practice 
experiencing the whole body as you breathe in and experiencing the whole body as you breathe out. Which I'd like to believe that's what the Buddha was really pointing at when he stated that verse. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I'm with you and you're in this metacognitive introspective space and you get stung by a bee. Yeah. So you're there meditating. Could you just explain for yourself then what happens? Yeah. Okay, well, it depends. You see, to explain what happens when you're in the state of highly focused attention and metacognitive awareness, if you get stung by a bee, uh, you will know it immediately. It will, <laughs> it, it will send a strong enough signal that it will immediately uh, capture your attention and you'll know that something happened. Um, but it is possible to become so completely focused that you, uh, well, I don't know, a bee sting, mm -hmm. that's probably going to pretty well always penetrate uh, <laughs> and you're going to become aware of it. Let's take another, take an example of uh, a fly. <coughs> A fly lands on your <laughs> nose and starts crawling around, right? We have one here, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I try to always keep a few flies. Oh, <laughs> But when you... There's a certain degree of concentration at which you know that a fly is crawling around on your face. But you're able to stay focused on the object and not have it become an object of attention. In other words, you know the fly is crawling around on your face, but it stays in the peripheral awareness. And then there is a, a, what's called absorption or jhana. If you were in a jhana and a fly landed on your face, if you were in a deep jhana anyway, a fly landed on your face, you wouldn't be aware of it. That's not going to. That's not going to make it. A beast thing, I think it would. Somebody coming up and shaking your shoulder would. Yeah. But does that answer your question? So when you say make it through, um, meaning so then if this were to happen to you, a beast thing, or you're meditating outside and a diamondback shows up or something, huh? but you're not even. So I'm just wondering in terms of how your so you're leaving that awareness, that metacognitive, or you're, you're, you still have the peripheral awareness available to you, even though it's not there. It's there and it's not there. I guess that's what I'm yeah. struggling with. What you're not there at the same time. What you time. could th think of it this way is that uh, most of your peripheral awareness is occupied by introspective awareness, introspective object. But there's a little thin sliver around the outside that's extrospective. And as long as there's that, and depending on how big that sliver is, you know, uh, if it's if it's very very thin, the fly won't get through, but the bee will. If it's thicker, even the fly gets through. Right. Yeah. Also, I'm very curious. Um, when you reach deep states of absorption, 
and awareness of body sensations has lapsed and thoughts are no longer there, but only occasionally and very wispy and then they go. You've described that very well. Um, but in that state of deep absorption, then that's when real insights can, can arise, I understand. Now my question then, if that's true, is in what form do those insights arise? We've already said, or you've already said, that, that, that thoughts are not there. Are, in what form does one have these insights? Are they images? How, how is that? Uh, okay, let me answer the question. Uh, but we are getting a little bit far afield, that's all. Okay. I can see why it's something of interest. And, and it's really, it's something, what do we mean by insights? I mean, if, if uh, people don't really know what mindfulness is, I'd say that you have exactly the same problem with insight. I love this word, but what does it mean, anyway? <laughs> uh, thoughts are not present in deep jhanas, but these wispy thoughts are present in the light jhanas. They don't have anything to do with insight in either case. Insights can come in, they can come in daily life, they can come in any stage of the meditation process. The insights that come in deep jhana are the result of moving in and out of the jhanas. And for those of you that don't know jhanas from chili peppers, there's eight jhanas representing uh, more and more refined mental states. But as you go through the eight jhanas, it's like you're dissecting the mind. You're peeling away different levels of mental activity. And so the insights that come from practicing the deep jhanas come from entering and leaving the jhanas and comparing what, what there is when you're in the jhana with what there is before you're in the jhana and what there is when you come out of the jhana and then comparing what there is uh, or is not present in the first jhana compared to the second jhana, second compared to third, and so forth. And these give rise to insights. Insights are the crystallization of an understanding as a result of these cumulative experiences. At some point it crystallizes out and you know something about the way the mind is not as a result of analysis, and it's not an image. It's just, it's just a very, very straightforward, but very pure kind of knowing. It's just an, an, an aha. Oh. Um, a good example doesn't come to mind, but you can probably you all know this. This, there are situations or things that you looked at many times, many, many times, and then all of a sudden there's that one time where it clicks. That's, that's the kind of thing that happens. That's the way the insight comes. It's what you've been looking at for a long time, all of a sudden you understand it in a very deep way that you didn't before. That is getting a bit, I feel. Let's try to get back into my <laughs> 
So when you were talking about the body sensations, uh, it seems you were talking about increasing the power of tension. Where, when I, which time? So when, so when you're, when you're um, following the, the, the sensations of the breath in the body. In the whole body. In the whole yeah. body. So you're, you're increasing uh, the object of attention to, to increase yeah. the strength of attention. Yeah. If, if I'm trying to practice to increase the power of my attention or just the power of my mind while I'm listening to you right now, mm -hmm. um, so obviously you're the focus of attention. Yeah. And uh, I have some kind of aware, introspective awareness to make sure that I'm taking in the information. Yeah. Um, could I also then have attention on the body and the breath, or maybe working on a pain in the back or something, and try and keep and try and have that as as a as a whole of the whole of attention? Or is that going to be strengthening peripheral awareness? Uh, what you want to do is strengthen, strengthen peripheral awareness. You can't, you can't expand your attention to include two different kinds of things. Okay. You can expand your attention from sensations of the breath here to sensations of the breath in the whole body because they're not two different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. right. But you can't expand your attention to include listening to somebody and understanding what they're saying and sensations in your body. So good practice is pay attention when I'm talking, but at the same time be peripherally aware of the room and everybody else in the environment. And when you get really good at doing that so that you you understand everything I'm saying, but you haven't lost awareness of what's around you, then begin to shift that towards watching how your mind's responding to the ideas and, and to the thoughts. Seeing, seeing what kind of thoughts your own mind is generating in response to my work, what kinds of feelings, and so forth. That's a really good way to practice. And then to continue that, then, so I could increase my, the, the amount of energy of my mind that goes to, for example, the pain in my back and working on that while I'm still listening to you, and then try and say, increase my the awareness, the quality of my awareness in the whole room, or whatever I choose to, as an exercise, to strengthen the, the, the entire power of the mind and keep yeah. increasing the amount of energy I put into the peripheral awareness as well. Yes, and the key to that, the key to that is, and, and that's really a very good kind of object to practice with that, with that. The key to that is to be able to expand this peripheral awareness without missing the meaning of what's being said. <laughs> Because what easily happens is that you you become less and less fully aware of what's being said and the meaning and significance of it as you become more aware of everything else. But it, it's pretty easy to know whether you're really understanding what's whether you're really following closely what's being said. So you can exercise your mind by trying to be more aware of everything else without there being any decrease in, in your understanding of what's going on and how closely you're following what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to understand what mindfulness means. Yeah. And um, I, I feel pretty clear about the, the significance of mindfulness in, in relationship, for example. Like when you say, when you said, when, when a person that you that you love and care about says something to you that upsets you, uh, 
if you're not practiced, then it can be very easy to forget that this is a person that you don't care about, <laughs> and then you say things that don't nurture that relationship, you know, or can damage that relationship. So that's really clear to me that, um, you know, I, I experience I experience that kind of mindfulness when I think, okay, this is the kind of relationship I'm in, and this is the appropriate behavior or, or healthy response. Um, it's less easy for me to understand mindfulness, like when I'm having breakfast. So I was I was putting things together for breakfast this morning, and and um, I thought, okay, well there are all these things that need to be done. You know, like the soy milk needs to go out, the cereal needs to go out, the tea needs to be made. You know, there are, there are lots of different sandwiches we can make for lunch. Um, so these are all, I don't know where to put them, really, to practice my mindfulness. So I don't really know where my attention needs to be and what, where, my, where my peripheral awareness needs to be when I'm doing this this kind of thing. And um, I think, what, what's going on? I think, well, I'm getting ready to go to the center. But it doesn't, it doesn't really, it seems very complicated. Um, to understand what mindfulness is with almost like neutral things. Well, when you're doing these tasks, mm -hmm. they require a certain degree of attention, right? Yeah. Okay. And so you give them as much attention as they need. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're practicing being mindful, though, if you're doing something that only requires this much attention, you don't let your mind wander off to some totally unrelated thought. Okay? So, if you're, if you're making the sandwiches, you're making the sandwiches, you use as much attention as necessary to make the sandwiches, what else are you going to use your conscious capacity for? You have more than it takes. Yeah. And your mind's natural tendency is to wander off and think about yeah. something. Right. It likes to be occupied. It wants to be occupied, right? So what you occupy it with is uh, is peripheral awareness of things around you. That's fine, but th that's probably not terribly important, considering the fact that you have successfully made sandwiches many times <laughs> while <laughs> while a lot of your conscious capacity was engaged in uh, in some other thought process. In other words, attention has been alternating back and forth between. Sandwiches and fantasy, and none of it's been going to to environment, or, or very little of it's been going to environment. So you know you don't need to, it's not necessary to be really aware of environment. And chances are environment's not terribly interesting, but your mind is interesting. And knowing what you're doing, and knowing what you feel about what you're doing, this is what you can train yourself to use that extra conscious capacity that's not required for making sandwiches to be introspectively aware. You know, okay, what am I doing? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? But when I asked that question this morning, it was kind of like, nothing much. You know, the answer back. Well, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I guide you in meditation, I'm saying, what is the state of your mind? And I didn't really get any feedback from that, but I, until you get some practice at it, it's really hard to know the state of your mind. Okay. So Perhaps you turn around and look and nothing there. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but
But that's not true. On to the next thing. But that's not true. Your mind is always in a particular state. And your mind's always doing a variety of things. So so you do you do have to practice a bit to be able to know these things. It doesn't happen right away the first time. Okay. For the first time in my life I'm gonna try being mindful of what's going on in my mind while I'm making sandwiches. Might not happen. <laughs> you know, you might, but the thing is, stay with it. You say, okay, well, I'm not finding anything that that's really going to, you know, occupy my uh, consciousness here. Knowing that is the beginning. So then, so then, if I like, because I asked myself, what's going on? And then my mind said, oh, nothing. You know, I looked around, and there's nothing going on really in my mind. And so then I'm sure what happens, I just went on to the next thing. Oh, how interesting. Oh, a little kid, you know, kind of my then my attention started going all over the place. But instead, if I could say if I could say in meditation I understand what it is to place my peripheral awareness on what's going on in my mind. So if my intention is to kind of hold a space in which I could be aware if something did happen, even though nothing's going on right now, would that be that would be actually the simplest thing that you could do in the sandwich making situation is do it exactly the way you would when you're sitting in meditation. Uh-huh. I'm going to pay attention to what I'm doing, uh-huh. and I'm going to notice whenever my attention goes elsewhere. And, uh, and the important part of it isn't in, in this particular case. Uh, the important part of it is knowing that your attention is moved. You start to see how your attention moves, and it's constantly moving, and it's moving to different kinds of things. Then you're starting to have the experience of, of introspective awareness. You'll very quickly discover there's a lot going on. Let me tell you a little bit about what happens though. Like metacognitive introspective awareness is, a, is awareness of mental state and activity of the mind. And you can't know either one of these things by focusing your attention on them. The reason is that, first of all, the nature of attention is that it's like a microscope. It isolates one thing and zooms in on it and analyzes it. And mental state is a global phenomenon. You cannot zoom in on a global phenomenon. You can't examine an elephant. You can't see what an elephant looks like with a, through a microscope. It's just, you can't. But what will happen, what does happen, uh, in meditation, you can check in on your mental state. And you can check in on the activity of your mind. What's actually going to happen there in the beginning is that this checking in is going to involve shifting your attention away from the meditation object, directing it at the mind. And you're not going to find a mental state when you do that. But what you will find is a recollection of the mental state that was recognized in peripheral awareness. Peripheral awareness picks up the mental state. It's global in nature. It's holistic. 
it takes it, it sees the relationship it, it understands the overall state of the mind and so when you direct your attention to what is the state of my mind what you're going to see is the mental left by peripheral awareness that this is the state and the state will change and so when you meditate the uh, when you first when you're when you're starting to meditate and you forget what you're doing and your mind wanderings wanders then peripheral awareness introspective peripheral awareness arises and says hey this isn't what we're supposed to be doing and it draws attention to what you're doing or it draws attention to that fact rather and what you were lost in disappears in the same instant you notice that? This is activity of the mind. Focusing the attention is an activity of, of the mind. And when that activity takes place, whatever activity was taking place prior to that inevitably ceases as a result. And this is why you have that experience. Introspective awareness alerts attention to the fact that you're not doing what you intended. Attention shifts, and when attention shifts, the thought you were lost in stops. That's why you can't, that's why attention can't capture activity. Only introspective awareness can know the activity of the mind in an ongoing way. All attention can do is capture a snapshot of what the activity was a moment ago. Okay? And so, initially, introspective awareness arises spontaneously you know your mind was wandering and you bring it back but then you start checking in checking in to see whether there's some distraction that's going to make you forget what you're doing before you've forgotten it and that checking in feels like an interruption to paying attention to the meditation object and it is so you check in and then you go back you see what's going on and you go back to the meditation object and if a distraction is happening, you tighten up your, your focus. Or if dullness was there, you make yourself more alert. But it was really attention. The, it, it, it was attention that you were using. And it's limited in what it can do. But then as you go along, you get the knack of knowing your mental state and knowing the activity of mind in peripheral awareness without interrupting attention without using attention. So attention continues to do what it was doing. Peripheral awareness makes you, allows you to know that there's some distraction that <coughs> is present. Then you can focus up your, uh, then you can focus in more closely on the meditation object. Or peripheral awareness allows you to know that the mental state is becoming dull or distracted or restless or whatever. So, so this is this is the way it it develops through these three kinds of, of stages. Of, it spontaneously arises and alerts you. Then you begin to check in, but it's still mainly a function of attention. But then it begins to be a continuous peripheral awareness of what's going on. And you're starting to have metacognitive awareness in a form that, because it's ongoing, it will at, at first as you have this 
continuing peripheral awareness is not all that strong. And, you know, your meditation object is here, and the distraction's over there, and they switch. And then you realize it's happened, and so you switch it back. But as the peripheral awareness gets stronger and stronger, then as soon as it starts to happen, that's corrected. Yes? So when you talk about unifying the mind, is, does that mean then that peripheral awareness internally, in terms of introspective awareness, has the power of attention and you can't really... It's like they're kind of like both working the same... No, actually, unifying the mind means that there's all these different parts of the mind and they all have different ideas of what you should be paying attention to. And they are all projecting things into peripheral awareness to compete for your attention. So, so this, this is the ordinary state. You're sitting there trying to meditate, but there's other parts of your mind that want to think about picking up the mail, what's for lunch, discussion you had with somebody. And they keep projecting this into consciousness it becomes a part of peripheral awareness. Unification of the mind is when all those different parts of the mind say, okay, I guess we're not doing that now. This is what we're doing. And they get on board with it. That, and that's the point at which there's no, more, there's, there's no more subtle distractions trying to capture your attention. Peripheral awareness, all those parts of the mind are just projecting into consciousness whatever is appropriate to the task you're doing. So I'm meditating, I want to know what the state of my mind is, uh, I want to know if obese things me, but other than that, I don't, want to, I don't care about what's out there. So all the different parts of your mind cooperate, and appropriate information enters peripheral awareness. But subtle distractions are gone. Because subtle distractions are those things projected into consciousness that some, that some one part of your mind thinks you should be paying attention to instead of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what unification means. Mm. So just a little bit more on the sandwiches. If I, if I have to... Uh, yeah, from salad to sandwiches. Out of early lunch. Is it almost lunchtime? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the morning, um, there, there's kind of all these things to do, kind of to make the tea and to get, the service, to get the breakfast ready and also to get the lunch ready at the same time. So it seems like my attention needs, well, I don't really know, but it seems like my attention needs to be able to move from one thing to another because yeah. the tea is being made at the same time as the sandwiches are being made. Yeah. And then also the breakfast needs to go out. Mm-hmm. And okay. so how do I, how do I, how do I, what's a nice, skillful way of intent to direct my attention? Well, we, we've all become very good at uh, multitasking. And that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we achieve multitasking through alternating attention. Mm-hmm. Back and forth <coughs> between the different things. Yeah. And it's happening very quickly. I mean, subjectively, it seems almost as though we're paying attention to several things at the same time. Yeah. But the attention is really, is really alternating. Mm-hmm. We've trained ourselves to do that. So if you're making sandwiches and making tea and doing these other things that are, that are basically multitasking, um, on the one hand, the constant movements of attention are going to make it more difficult to be mindful. But you can still try. You can still try. You can, 
you've acquired a skill at alternating attention. And that's not inherently too different than attention fixed on one thing. So you can cultivate peripheral awareness and introspective awareness while attention is alternating. Mm -hmm. The only problem that comes in is paying attention to three times, three things at once will utilize more of your conscious capacity than paying attention to one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So there'll be less left over for peripheral awareness than, than introspection. So I won't know so much what's going on in my mind, but there's less of a danger that I'll forget lunch. I'll forget to bring lunch. Well, actually, uh, what you'd like to do is be able to do whatever you're doing and in, in peripheral awareness, you know that the lunch is over there, still needs to be put in the bag, so on and so forth. So, so this is something to hold in peripheral awareness then. I mean, I've just, I've been thinking about it, because like, you know, we, we are moving around a lot, so we need to pack, <coughs> we need to remember to bring everything. And um, it's, it's interesting to watch myself trying to be mindful while trying to, you know, needing to hold all these different things in my mind at the same time. So that's peripheral awareness, is it? That's gonna that's gonna make sure I remember. Yeah, yeah. Peripheral awareness can hold multiple things at once. Okay. Attention can. Mm -hmm. Attention has to alternate back and forth. Mm -hmm. And when you when you start practicing this in daily life, you're going to have to recognize when attention is alternating rather than when peripheral awareness is holding multiple things. But um, I'm hoping that with the keys that I've given you, if you can just if you can just take these ideas and apply them, that you'll you'll quickly discover how to do this, and you'll you'll get you'll get the hang of it. Yeah. But yeah, what what you will discover is okay. I'm going to be perfectly aware of these things while I'm doing this, and you'll find that. You're mostly paying attention to this, but your mind's trying to accommodate your intention by zipping over to all these other things. <laughs> and then you realize that that's happening. You say, okay, this isn't really attention and peripheral awareness. This is, this is attention trying to mimic peripheral awareness. <laughs> <laughs> so then you say, all right, I'm going to focus on this. And, and the thing is that you can use the, the visual analogy a lot because your eyes do the same thing. If I tell you to focus on my finger, focus your eyes on my finger and allow your peripheral vision to take in everything else, there will be a tendency it, to for your eyes to want to flick around to fill in the details. Mm -hmm. But you can but it's obvious when that happens and you can restrain those movements of your eye and you can have a really clear experience of the difference between visual focus and peripheral vision. And so whenever you're not sure of the difference between attention and peripheral awareness, just do an exercise like that and then, okay, it'll be, it'll, it'll feel the same. It'll have the same quality to it. Yeah. What if I try to um, put my attention on my breath and listen to you speak with only my peripheral uh, awareness. Would, is that an impossible task for peripheral awareness? To, to do it? Mm -hmm. To put my attention on my breath 
but tried to listen to you with my peripheral awareness. Would that be an impossible task, or I would, would I be deceiving myself? One of the things that conscious experience in the form of peripheral awareness involves minimal processing. And so it can pick up semantic cues, but it can't follow, it wouldn't be able to follow a sentence. So if you if if what I was saying was truly in peripheral awareness without attention to it, you would not be able to understand it. But specific words would be semantically recognized. And those that carry emotional or other significance would would draw attention. Would attention would be drawn to them. But no, you cannot understand speech in peripheral awareness. It just it it does parallel processing instead of serial processing, and it draws on a much more on a much a much different array of mental processing faculties. So it doesn't do quite the same thing. I'd like to um, ask you more about the potential insight of all this process. And um, and through a concrete example, I'm going to take it back from sandwiches to the salad. <laughs> but uh, I was making a salad. Um, I, the reason I like the salad is because it has potential for more sustained attention than multitasking sandwiches and tea and stuff. And I was making a salad for a wedding um, of friends. Um, and I found that when, as I, as I could focus in on it more and more, you know, I'm slicing the tomatoes, I'm putting the olives in, I'm, you know, all the different things. Then I sort of allowed myself to go into, you know, awareness of, you know, I was feeling happy, but I was feeling stressed. So I was aware of kind of the mental state because um, there's a lot going on um, at that time. And then I just inclined the mind towards thinking a little more deeply about it, of um, first of all, where all the salad came from was from a part of a local sustainable project in the South Valley Albuquerque. And the interdependence of you know, our land's part of it, and you know, sort of the interdependence of people around that. And then just thinking the sun that you know, brought the lettuce here, and the, you know, the interconnectedness of all, of all of it, really, was more a potential, it was where my mind went, and I was aware of that, and I allowed myself to just really follow that in terms of getting this, getting the inter, and then thinking about when I'm going to eat the salad, and the salad's going to be part of me, and it's, I'm part of the sun, and, you know, <laughs> all this sort of interconnectedness kind of thinking. Um, then I cut my finger because <laughs> I was not focused at all on cutting the tomato. <laughs> so, I, and I don't know if that was just daydreaming or if that is insight. That's what I really wanted to ask you about. You know, if, that, if that, if well, what I heard was was thoughts, interesting thoughts, and mm -hmm. um, thoughts uh, about thoughts that might have contain some degree of mundane insight, but not capital I insight. Realizing that mundane insight, ordinary, commonplace uh, insight about ordinary things. So, uh, 
capital I insight is a different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you're have anytime you're having thoughts about things, thoughts can lead to mundane insights. So mundane what, insights meaning where the sound comes from and the yeah. earth and the sun and the, all that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, if, if your mind, if your mind, for example, if your mind put together at the same time the fact that this is January and these are tomatoes, this must have come from a long ways away, taking a lot of gas, you know, diesel fuel or whatever to get here. That, if you'd never had that thought before, that might be an insight. But uh, what you were doing... Not a dharmic insight. Not a dharmic insight. I got you. Mm -hmm. okay. Just a, or an ordinary insight that might not make you stop buying tomatoes in January, but it might make you more aware of the importance of trying to buy locally produced things as often as possible. You know, mm -hmm. that's a great insight. But what you described, though, your attention was occupied with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And the making of the salad was in peripheral awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. And peripheral awareness isn't that good at keeping you from cutting your finger. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. That's, that's why it happened. I got that. So it sounds like more because I'm just thinking that mind. The, the real point of mindfulness is, um, well, the real point of meditation and practice is liberation from suffering and through you know the, the big eyes. So I'm trying to just connect it to where does this all lead? You know, what would be a big insight? What would be a dharmic insight? And can one have a dharmic well, insight in doing yeah. and cutting the salad, in making the salad? That's, I, I think, probably <coughs> the main next thing that I want to, for us to cover in the time that we have remaining is how, in, how mindfulness does what it does and the different kinds of things that it does, okay? And so that's the direction I want to go. From the, I, I feel like I hope everybody's getting a pretty good handle on what mindfulness is and the kinds of things that you can do to become more mindful, to cultivate those abilities. And so then where we'll go is we'll, what we'll do is we'll find that the more mindful you are, just because the ordinary faculties of attention and awareness are working together, allows you to function better in the world, make better choices, and uh, to modify uh, inappropriate behaviors. That's one level. The other thing that mindfulness does is it allows you to change the programming that causes you to react to certain kinds of things in certain ways that aren't necessarily beneficial to you. Then what mindfulness can do in meditation is it can allow you to, I mean this gets really into the, into the psychotherapy aspect, right? it can allow you to make profound changes in your inner programming that causes you to have certain personality characteristics that aren't necessarily always a benefit. And then the ultimate benefit of mindfulness is that is that when these insights arise, mindfulness causes a really a really fundamental reprogramming of your mind that changes the way you perceive the world and yourself. 
and that, that's what brings the end of suffering. So I want to talk about all these different levels of what mindfulness does. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody was pretty solid with what mindfulness is. Will you be talking more about intention as part of that? Because I was curious from yesterday what you said about intention. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. Well, when I don't know. We'll see how intention comes up in it. But really, um, well, we'll see how it comes up in there. Because intention is really understanding what it is that your mind is really doing and how it brings about effects. Well, let's take a break. You can go to the washroom and have some tea. When we come back, let's do a meditation together. And uh, in, in that meditation, I'm going, what I'll try to do is I'll try to guide you in uh, the checking in, kind of invoking the introspective awareness so that you can notice what happens there. And then try to guide you to having a sort of continuous introspective awareness. Okay. Don't know how well that'll work, but <laughs> take a break now.